Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Thank you for spending the evening with us. Uh, we have a very exciting show tonight, but first I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing intro. You can find him at www.nativestorytellers.com. I would check the site out if you get a chance because it does depict history and the way that, that history has been kept through generations in a very different way than the way the history books teach, and it's worth understanding a culture that is a supremely beautiful one that's full of spiritual energy and insight. Um, so do check it out, please. I have tonight with me Dr. Mark Mirabello, and I am so excited because we're going to be talking on one of my favorite subjects, which is secret societies and conspiracies. He is an author and a professor of history at Shawnee State University in the USA, he served as a visiting professor of history at Nizhny Novgorod, Novgorod University in Russia. Please pardon me if I mispronounced it. He's appeared on the History Channel discussing deadly cults in the series called Ancient Aliens and in America's Book of Secrets. And he has appeared with Professor Norm Chomsky in M.A. Littler's Maverick film of, on freedom and the kingdom of survival. He is a featured guest for an hour-long interview on Afterlife Concepts on Open Minds, the show hosted by Regina Meredith, appears on the Gaia Television Network. He's been a featured guest on several radio programs and podcasts, including Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, Beyond Reality Radio, hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson, Darkness Radio with Dave Schrader, and... Tim Dennis, and talks with Paul Overtell and David Perry, the Fracas Files, and David Fracas, and many others. His publications deal with the supernatural, the Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife and the Odin Brotherhood, the unnatural, the Pulitzer-nominated horror novella, The Cannibal Within, and the natural handbook for rebels and outlaws. And his current project, Secret Societies and Conspiracies, is in the work and... Um, going to be published shortly. He's got a Ph.D. from the University of Glasgow in Scotland, 
an MA from the University of Virginia, and a BA from the University of Toledo. An amazing comosphitis for sure. So <clears throat> sit back, get out a pad and pencil. I think you're going to want to take notes on this one, guys. And welcome to the show, Mark. Well, thank you for having me. I'm going to have to hire you as a publicist. You make me sound very interesting and, and uh, impressive, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you provided the material. I just mispronounced most of it. So, um, <laughs> Every, Everybody trips up on Nisti Novgorod, even I'm not doing that correctly. <clears throat> so, uh, oh, the well, then, I'm glad to hear that, because <laughs> that was a tongue twister. Um, but but impressive, nonetheless. Uh, I think that that um, the material that that you have been able to um, have as as your foundation for lecturing is just phenomenal. And you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to get away with this. Um, I I have a I, an educational background. I taught school for 25 years, and I've got two masters in education. And mm. <clears throat> when I see how the educational system has so changed in being open to all of these wonderful topics that you're that you're sharing and educating kids with. I think it's fabulous. Well, in fact, I'm kind of I'm, shall we say, in life I tend to game the system. I could not do what I do at the more traditional and larger universities. Uh, some years ago, in the early, I think it was in the very early 21st century. A Harvard psychologist was researching abduction experiences of people uh-huh. and published a serious account claiming there was some validity to these notions. These people thought they were being abducted by UFOs, and they tried to strip him of his tenure at Harvard. Uh, fortunately, wow. they failed. Um, and remind you, there's a, there's a 19th century Russian <clears throat> who argued that modern scholarship is, is really an act of cowardice. Uh, most professors, their greatest fear is the fear of being laughed at. And I guarantee you, if we had a, a leading um, a physicist walking his dog at night and he were abducted by a UFO and taken to another planet and brought back, he would never discuss it. He'd be afraid of laughter, <laughs> losing his position. So I'm at a really small Midwestern university. In fact, it was only founded in 1987. And I was one of the first people here at Shawnee State University. And it gave me the opportunity to really do whatever I want because it was the wild, wild west. So I've taken advantage of that. It's a perfect opportunity for me. But I guarantee you, most of the books I write at regular universities, I would have probably been not gotten tenure or been denied promotion and tenure. (laughs) Well, listen, I, I graduated from college in the 60s. And a UFO landed on my campus, and um, and it's one of the documented authentic UFO spite, uh, you know, occurrences. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, I was, you know, when I tried to talk about it, I was made such fun of, and I was told to just keep my mouth shut and not talk about it. And that was in the school system. So which um, campus was it? Which campus Michigan was it? University. Eastern Michigan University. Oh, yes. Are you well familiar? Because I grew up on the Michigan-Ohio border. I would constantly go to Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor. Yeah. So I'm familiar. And you had, um, is that overlapping with the, when they had the infamous claim by the government, they dismissed those famous Michigan sightings as swamp gas? 
Yeah, was Jay Allen Rennick was out there. Yeah, yeah, he was oh. out there, and it was it was really funny. They, they a lot of books attribute the sighting to, to um, U of M, but it was Eastern, and I was there, and and it was amazing. And um, I think it's 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 what turned me on to the fact that there must be something more, that that there's more to our world than just this earth plane, that there is something even beyond that. And it was amazing because the girls, the girls were locked into the dorms at 11 o'clock, and it happened after 11 o'clock. So this, this uh, saucer landed on the baseball field. And we heard, you know, the radio say that, you know, the, all of the um, flights in and out of the three airports in the area had been canceled because there had been a UFO sighted in the area. And we heard... The, the police cars rushing by, and we heard on their on their radios because we had our windows open, of course. Um, we heard them say, "We're going to put the stadium lights on to get a better look." And <clears throat> between my dorm and the baseball field was a building, and we saw the glow the glow when they put the lights on, and we saw this saucer rise up and swoop over my dorm, blanked out the sky, and then it then it went and it was gone. And there was no wind disturbance. There was no sonic boom. There was no, it was just, it was there and it was gone. And what was fascinating to me in retrospect is that I was fascinated and wanted to talk about it. There were girls that were hiding in closets crying. There were other girls who swore they didn't see anything. And then there were a couple of us that actually had seen it. And it was sort of like, reminded me of, of, um, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, where they say, you know, the guy had to be allowed to go on the saucer because he was invited. And it was almost as though, and this has nothing to do with intelligence, but but consciousness, rather. And I think that you had to be of a level of consciousness that would accept this and embrace it for what it was. Excuse me. And those who weren't there had had different experiences. But, um... There was a complete news blackout. There was nothing on the news the next day. Um, and, and I called my mother in New York and told her about it, and she knew the editor of the paper. So there was a story in the paper in Nourishell, New York, about my sighting. And, and I got teased. I mean, I, I still get teased, but I can prove that it happened now. But um, for, what, 30, 40, well, 40, 50 years, over 50 years, um, th- there is a very uncomfortable feeling you get when somebody says, "Oh, you saw a UFO, right?" So, <clears throat> yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And um, again, when you're dealing with um, secret societies and conspiracy theories, extravagant, extravagant claims, um, the lay public just refuse to accept it. They're again afraid that somehow someone's going to laugh at them or think they are uh, insane. So uh, it's it's sad that we we humans show a lot of herd characteristics. So yeah. it's sad, but it's true. In fact, hopefully tonight let's talk about some of the because I've done a couple of these shows already, and I do notice that sometimes they want to stick to the more just traditional ones like Freemasons, but maybe tonight we could do some of the really uh, dangerous and sinister ones as well. Yeah, I would prefer that because you know everybody's. Up to up to their eyeballs, and 
Freemasons and Templars and all of that stuff. So yeah, I'd appreciate yeah. it if we could go in a, in another direction because you're right. It's been it's a hackneyed topic now. Everybody knows, so mm-hmm. it's no secret anymore. Speaking <laughs> of which, but, um, one alleged secret society, um, which it doesn't appear in legitimate scholarship whatsoever, and it's uh, just denied that it even ever exists, uh, is the Hands of Death which is really intriguing. It supposedly um, uh, was identified by two serial killers in the 1980s and 90s, and they allegedly have initiations involving murder, human sacrifice, cannibalism, um, and um, supposed to have connections with power. So again, um, probably doesn't exist, but it may exist. And, it, it, could uh, that have, could that possibly have a connection to the Black Hand Society? Well, when you use the term Black Hand, there's actually a couple of those. The term is used oh, okay. for originally uh, in the United States. Most people know of it as the uh, that's the Sicilian mob, right? And where that comes from, right. when they were extorting money from you, you get a um, piece of paper slipped under your door with a human handprint from with ink, <laughs> and it meant pay the mob. Um, now, there's also the more, um, frankly, to me, interesting one as well, although the mob is interesting as well. But there's the Serbian version. And uh, this is interesting because it shows how often secret societies overlap with governments. And this, in fact, was actually established by the Serbian government before World War II. And a colonel in Serbian military intelligence was recruiting male Serbs who were dying of tuberculosis. Back in those days, they call it the White Death. Yeah. And they'd be taken to a room, and these are teenagers, high schoolers. They're taken in a room, there'd be a gun, a vial of poison, a human skull, and they would swear an oath to help the Serbian motherland, and they were given a gun and poison. So if they were caught, they were supposed to take cyanide. And uh, Gabriel Princep is the most famous member of this. He's the one that start, uh, who killed one of the heirs to the uh, throne of Austria-Hungary starting World War I. Uh, the heir and his wife were in a car in the streets of Sarajevo. Princep was actually in a cafe, saw, back in those days, didn't have enormous security, saw the car coming. Cars were quite rare in 1914, so it got everybody's attention and killed yeah. the heir, uh, Francis Ferdinand, and his wife, sparking World War I. Which, by the way, is curious, because in that war, the Germans were on the side of the anti-terrorists. And the United States, France, Britain, supported the terrorist side. <laughs> Again, it tells how everybody, reminds me of 1984 by Orwell, where they keep changing who the enemy is. Yeah. So... Um, but that hand of death, or the black hand, I should say, was of Serb assassins. And then you have the mafia, uh, which, by the way, uh, here I'm running on again. We remember we were talking That's earlier okay. about tendency to do this. Um, but um, once you study, and incidentally, there are several mafias, and I should mention to your audience, right now, by far the most powerful one is one they've never really heard of, probably. It's the Drangheta. And that comes out of Calabria. And that's the extreme south of Italy. 
And there's a wonderful line about the Calabria because that's one of the poorest areas of Italy, traditionally. And the members of the Drangheta say that by organizing themselves into the Drangheta, they were once despised, but now they are feared. Now they are feared. And the Drangheta has spread around the world. It's especially concentrated in Italy, Germany, Brazil, some other places. And it permeates the economy. Um, people always get the impression that these are just thugs shooting people. But in fact, what happens is these organized crime groups penetrate into the regular economy. In fact, if you bought a Japanese car, you probably indirectly given money to the Yakuza. That's the Japanese mob. So, is, there, um, is, there, is there a hierarchy of these secret societies? You know, you have at the very, very bottom of the pyramid, so to speak, you know, the, 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 the Masons and the Templars and maybe the Illuminati and stuff like that. And then above that, there's another level, and above that, there's another level. And is there, is there a place where you get to the place where it's a term you used on one of the shows that I really like, that there, there are puppet masters? Well, that's an interesting I mean, point. In fact, um, you probably uh, can't remember, I, I didn't go through all of your back shows, but I saw you had some really interesting ones. If, you, if you've had David Icke on your show, I don't remember. No, <clears throat> he's I didn't. The British, but I, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's probably hard to get because he's on so many shows. He's the British conspiracy theorist, and he talks about the prison warders. And mm -hmm. I should mention um, the way it may work. Now, again. I remember in earlier conversations before we got on the air and in emails, I mentioned that ideal. I'm always been a student of beliefs rather than facts. I tell my history classes, just because something is not true, doesn't mean it's not a force in history. And I give I gave the example to you of the Chinese man in the 19th century who was convinced he was the younger brother of Jesus. We uh -huh. would reject that. But his claim led to a religious movement, which ended up causing 70 million deaths. It sparked a war in China, uh, wow. perhaps the bloodiest war in history, making even World War II look small. But again, we're Westerners, so we ignore all this. So even if the claim is not true, it still may be a force in history. Um, now, back to this notion of these prison warders, um, the idea is, well, mention how this may work. This is just possibility now. Um, the British in the early 20th century were controlling India with about 2,000 officials. There were several hundred million people in India, but effectively they were being controlled by a couple thousand people. The British West African and, frankly, Central, well, I should say parts of Africa, empire was again being controlled by roughly... 2,000 officials. And the British openly talked about how they did it. It's by Lord Lugard discusses it. It's indirect rule that you basically control the local tribal elite. So the British would bribe and pay off. They'd give them positions and titles and so forth. They would get flunkies in India and also in Africa promote them, give them titles and act as if they're important, and use these individuals to control the society. So if the world today is being dominated by secret societies, this is probably what is happening. Um, 
Now, keep in mind that when a secret society or a group dominates, it's kind of like a farmer's livestock. The farmer doesn't have to control every cow, every pig, and every chicken all the time. He only exercises his power when they break the rules or get through the fence. So when people say, how could secret societies control the entire planet, billions of people, as long as you keep your neck, you're on a leash, close to the peg, or as long as you stay inside the fences on this human farm, they'll leave you alone. But as soon as you jump the fence or go too far away from the orthodoxy, they'll take you down. Uh, there's been mm-hmm. several people discussed um, that the whole idea we have in psychology, the concept of paranoia, that it doesn't even exist, that the idea of paranoia is used to label people who try to out the controllers. Um, so, for example, if you were to publish a book saying um, such and such is controlling the planet and he's evil and he's wicked and so on and so forth, They'll just laugh at you, call you crazy, and maybe uh, if you get too dangerous to them, lock you up. Um, mm-hmm. Mental illness is often uh, – Thomas Sotts, who was a Syracuse psychiatrist, wrote some books in the 80s and 90s claiming that schizophrenia really doesn't exist. It's being used to control people who are not playing the game, who, again, wander outside. And almost certainly modern psychiatry and psychology – and this is Sotts's idea – has replaced the Inquisition. They used to use oh, yeah. the Inquisition to control, and now they basically control your behavior. So when I'm back to the original question, for example, in the United States, how many people realize that, uh, well, our tribal leaders are not actually running the country. They're being controlled by somebody else. Yes. For example, George Bush Jr. was related, is related to 16 other presidents. Now, this individual was a C student in college and of no great mental ability, yet he easily becomes president of the United States for two terms, and as well as his yeah. father was president. And the idea is he may be the equivalent of a um, Maharaja in uh, India or a, a, a tribal chieftain in Africa, that mm-hmm. they're following orders. And as long as they do, for example, the British – as long as the tribal chief among the Igbo in some kind of settlement does what the British want, he's rewarded and promoted. But as soon as he tries to uh, mess with the game, they'll destroy him. So uh, now that would mean, frankly, the alleged rulers, like the Bilderbergers and the Council on Foreign Relations, are probably not really the rulers. There's someone else above them. But again, we'll never know. Now, one thing is interesting, and again, stop me if I go on too long on this, but... No, this is is my philosophy, yeah. Yes. Well, everybody quotes Thomas Malthus. Yeah, Um, I was going to say, everybody, he wrote the essay on population. He actually, Darwin reading Malthus's work, got the idea of natural selection. And Malthus talked about how Populations grow faster than resources, and this creates a struggle, and that would inspire Darwin. But most people, and even academics, they they quote people they never read 
one of my favorite <laughs> lines in my classes is, um, uh, we have modern feminists defending Darwinian thought. If these people would read Darwin and subsequent evolutionary theory in the 19th century, they would not support it. Uh, evolutionists in the 19th century thought the existence of women proved the theory. They actually thought women were less evolved than men, believe it or not. But no one seems to know this anymore. It's been airbrushed out of the secondary sources. Now, back to the point, um, and I was talking again about um, Malthus. What he actually says in his works, that if, um, and he's referring to the masses, the poor, and I'm, I'm simplifying and rewording, but if you feed them, give them decent housing, give them medical care, you exacerbate the problem because their population will grow, and this could doom the species. So this, by the way, is a Church of England minister writing this. So ideally, if you let the masses live in slums, deprive them medical care, deprive them of education and so forth, you actually help the human race in the long term. So this could be why we have poverty. We have epidemics. We have people without health care. We have ignorance. We have war. It's because it controls the population and benefits the elite. Now, I should also mention that now I'm plagiarizing George Orwell, 1984. He has a wonderful passage. where That's a brilliant book for any, anyone yeah, to read, but historians love it. And he says that in 1984... If everybody in a society were economically equal and decent housing, well-fed, it would become obvious that there is no need for a privileged elite at all, and they would get rid of them. So in 1984, he says, they create economic depressions, and the best way to do that is endless wars, to keep the people poor and suffering, and then they demand uh, a leadership to save them. So perhaps the whole reason the world is a mess is because it benefits some elite somewhere. And they are not, they will publicly say Bilderbergers, Club of Rome, they say the Trilateral Commission, they say they meet to help the human race and save humanity, but it's possible that's just all a smokescreen. It is. That these you, people you may be causing our trouble. You, you know, you mentioned a, a bunch of them, and <clears throat> the one that I've always wondered about because they they seem to be able to keep their organization more secret than most is the Bohemian Club. Yes, that's a really curious one. It starts out yeah. with some kind of 19th century artists in San Francisco. And now they meet two weeks in the, they have a club in San Francisco where technically yeah. you can bring visitors if you're a member. But the real stuff occurs two weeks. By the way, the um, first day of the meeting during the summer, they meet every summer for two weeks, is on Bastille Day. That has to not be a coincidence. Oh, by the way, the French oh, yeah. just recently celebrated that. You know, the real history of the Bastille Day, a mob stormed that. That was an old royal fortress. 
else, mm-hmm. but it only had five prisoners. And the mob stormed the fortress, beheaded the warden, put it on a stake, and carried it through the city. Now, I don't think I'd be, be celebrating that. Um, it'd be the equivalent of uh, we've had atrocities over here, and I don't think we should turn it into a national celebration. But it again, shows how history is airbrushed. Well, speaking yeah. of which, another thing they, they leave out, I don't know why, probably because they're French, the mob that stormed it was led by a woman uh, who was disguised, dressed up as an Amazon. Translation, topless. Who else but the French oh would have a mob, a mob led by a half-nude <laughs> woman? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just so French. Um, well, well, well they did back... revolt with her, so <laughs> it must have worked. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, which reminds me, you know where the gay rights movement in the United States started? That was actually a no. mafia-owned bar in New York. How many people realize the mafia right. owned that place? It was what it called mafia the Stone owns House. Mafia a lot more Innocent. than people. Yeah, no, the well, mob the way, owns you, a heck of a lot more. Yes, and by the way, you know why the mob uh, actually had that place? There's a reason for it. Is the There's a lot of money in vice. And see, organized yeah. crime benef- benefits when we make certain things illegal, like alcohol, drugs, prostitution, all gambling. So they, uh, they support laws against it so they can make money off it. That's why they're running a gay bar in uh, 1960s New York. Now back to your original point, because I tend to uh, pick up these things and in, 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 uh, run in different directions, and we were talking about the Bohemian Grove. Um, yeah. It seems they, they now the reports are well. First of all, there's the cremation of care ceremony, which some people uh, have tried to claim was a human sacrifice. Uh, who's that well-known um, internet? It's Jones, I believe is his name. Claimed he oh. uh, he's the one that got into trouble. They stripped threw him off Facebook and all that. Um, I believe he was, was the, one of those. Now, oh by the way, World War Two. Um, bomber crews used to have an expression when the flak gets really heavy we're on target so whenever (laughs) you see whenever you see anybody being really attacked in the media viciously they're probably on target Um, oh yeah and uh, this is a general rule well there have been reports they're actually practicing human sacrifice now I'm not sure if that's going on they are cremating something like an effigy of of a person, at the very least. They have a mm-hmm. massive owl. Now, owl is a famous symbol of secrecy. It goes back, it's even used in ancient Egypt. Yeah. In legend, the owl only sees by night, is blind by day. That's apparently not true, but that's the old legend. And um, it, it, um, it always symbolizes secrecy. In fact, the, an Egyptian, ancient Egyptian, the word for owl uh, had, was M, used the M sound, and M, the letter, symbolizes secrecy because you pronounce it with your lips closed. Mm-hmm. And it's also probably the first sound we make as children. That's why mama is such a common in many languages, and typically it's yeah. said before in English, papa. So um, they gather there for two weeks. There are reports of men, public urination, acting really stupid, getting drunk. And it's just dismissed by the general uh, scholars as a bunch of rich boys acting stupid. 
But there are reports that's where the Manhattan Project was concocted, to make the bomb. Uh, There are reports that's where uh, Reagan's decision that he would be able to become president, that that was done there. Um, And um, so why these individuals would – they live, by the way, in crude cabins. Why Mm – Millionaires and billionaires who want to go to summer camp is beyond me. Well, so there's something know, going probably, on. Yeah, and and it, it, no women are allowed, which I think is not fair. And it there's a huge there's a long waiting list, and it costs a fortune to join. And it it's where the the elite actually are able to just sit around and and talk, and nothing ever comes out of there. I mean. You, they don't break that secrecy. It's just, it's amazing. And knowing how long this has been going on and how hard people have been trying to figure out, you know, what really does go on there, and they, they it, it's, it's kept secret. And you can't even get in there off-season. They have guards there around the clock. So, By the way, your reference to women, um, curiously, there have been reports for years they've been bringing strippers and prostitutes in and that there's all kinds of abuse of women going on there. Now, they're not allowed at the ceremonies, but they're brought in for entertainment purposes. But again, we can't prove this. A second point is they did file a lawsuit, and recently the courts actually forced the Bohemian Grove to hire female employees. So they do have now women working there, but they're not allowed into the inner sanctum with all the ceremonies. They get around it by using them as cooks and probably maids. Uh, but there have been allegations for years of some all kinds of wild sexuality going on, including the stuff they're now accusing Epstein of doing down in Florida, uh, underage girls, this sort of thing. Well, on uh, his private island especially, yeah. Well, oddly enough, if you study the elite throughout history, um, they're often involved in taboo sexuality. Um, we see this with the infamous, what it's not really its name at the time, but it's become known as the Hellfire Club, um, where they would, um, um, Sir Francis Dashwood, would he, uh, usually it said he purchased, but in British law you have to lease it for 99 years, he, this abandoned abbey, and then he hollowed out these caves underneath, and yeah. they had 12 senior members, and then there were junior members, and they had a kind of chapel. There were allegations of blasphemous, satanic rites going on there, although they probably did it more to mock religion as opposed to worship the devil because they appeared to what, be what time, atheists. What, what, what time frame was this? 18th century. And incidentally, there were reports they brought in London prostitutes dressed wasn't as nuns. Benjamin, wasn't Benjamin Franklin a part of that too? Exactly. Here's a classic example of how you can airbrush history. Oh, by the way, you know, recently we had about, especially a year ago, everybody wanting to rip down Confederate statues. Um, yeah. If you know history, they should rip all these statues down of everybody because you can find dirt. It's unbelievable. Virtually every famous person's got some kind of dirt somewhere way back. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it's really appalling. Now, in the case of Franklin, he did attend this. Now, in a standard uh, uh, history, they'll say, oh, Ben, yeah, he was there for maybe um, just to have some fun. 
they don't talk about did he attend satanic masses? Was he uh, having sex with these women there, orgies? Now, what's really curious, in the 1990s, I think it was 1997, uh, remember, London's got all kinds of historical stuff in it. You need all kinds of permits to dig a hole there. They Mm -hmm. were, um, it's on Craven Street. When he was a diplomat, well, by the way, in American history, he's depicted as a patriotic hero. There are reports in British history. He was history a dirty he was a old man. Agent. Well, he was a double yeah. agent, too. He was working both sides. And, uh-huh. um, uh, but at any rate, where he lived was on Craven Street, and they were uh, doing some excavation for some renovation in the 1990s, and they found, they broke into an underground, underneath the cellar, uh, a little uh, open area with, I forget, it was nine or ten human skeletons. And the for, first they thought they came across the murder scene, so they called the yeah. police. And it turned out the skeletons were dated to the late 18th century, roughly when Franklin was there. A few of them were children. Um, now, here's the odd part. In uh, um, National Public Broadcasting about a couple of years ago, I was stunned when I saw they were going to do a show on this, the skeletons. And I, I was just stunned. Like, I mean, finally... Someone's going to take this seriously, but if you watch the show, it's an enormous whitewash. They try to claim that a surgeon who also rented there at one point was conducting anatomical studies with cadavers. So that's the um, public story. And normally, if you're someone who's important, they'll do that. They'll whitewash um, your background. But then if you're someone they don't like, you know, they... It'll be splattered all over the place, and they'll exaggerate it. But chances are old Ben was fooling around with uh, hookers dressed as nuns <laughs> and saying, Hail Satan, <laughs> in these assemblies. <laughs> again, it doesn't go with our standard um, interpretation of him. But, again, people are complex. Uh, Americans – it reminds me when I used to be – years ago as a child – we, uh, you know, we all. I remember thinking uh, the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad. Um, that's not how it really works. Um, um, the uh, Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote, um, um, yeah, I suddenly forget the name of his famous book on set in Dresden. Um, but he has, it's set during. He was a in real life. He was a POW, American POW, when Dresden was bombed. And he wrote this work, uh, fictional piece, about a man who comes detached in time. And uh, at any rate, um, he said, and it's true, in all of his novels, he never has a um, purely good or purely bad character. Because that's how people are. Yeah. Um, So there are not saints running the world. Well, speaking of which, here's an odd history fact, if I could just, before I forget, throw it in. If you were to tell somebody that Italian police raided uh, Lucio Galli's house in the 1980s, and he was the leader of Propaganda Dua, which was a really high-level secret society in Italy that had all the ruling class members involved in it. They found nude pictures of Pope John Paul II. Now, does that sound like a real story? I would believe it. 
Now, yeah. the pictures were taken, they probably were planning to use blackmail. By He's naked by, this guy is now a saint, by the way. He's skinny yeah. dipping in the Vatican pool. Now, I have to confess, I've never been skinny dipping in my life, and I've never been Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what the, uh, but you know what John Paul II's hometown was? No. Auschwitz. <laughs> he had so oh, many wow. unusual traits. I mean, it may not be that he was involved in that, but it's kind of a curious fact. They never mention it. And when they do mention it, they translate the term. That's how they obscure things. They don't want to uh, confuse the faithful, so to speak. Oh, speaking of which, um, you know, the Vatican's a secret society. And it, it well, yeah. shows how secret societies work. Um, now, for example, you can see the parallels with the Masons. Um, anybody can join the Masons, although they have to approve of your membership. A member must ask a Mason three times to get in, and they won't reply the first two times. And then the person trying to get in must get a couple Masons to support him, and then the lodge votes on him, and they put white balls or black balls into a container. He must get unanimous support, and that's where our phrase blackballing comes from. Now, the first three degrees you seek, but then the upper degrees, there's another 30 degrees, you must be invited to join the upper degrees. And the 33rd degree in, in the British system only has 75 members. That's how elite it is. There are over 600,000 Masons in Britain. 75 men make 33-degree Mason level. And that's it. Well, the Catholic Church would be the same way. Anybody can join. You have to go through certain things, be baptized, go to catechism classes, and you can get in. But the Church is ruled by the cardinals and the pope and cardinals do swear an oath now remember cardinals are selected by the pope they swear an oath to keep the secrets of the church and they swear to keep secret any information that will be harmful to mother church um and again people will get cynical and say why do they do that um, the vatican has been around so long for a reason they know how real history works and you must suppress things to maintain power. And by the way, ultimately, all secret societies are about power. Well, especially with the Vatican, um, what, what I'm seeing today, um, from, from my perspective, is that, that history is being changed and whitewashed and, and shifted around. The history books are shifted around so that our true history is no longer our true history and our children will never, ever learn what true history really is. And, you know, this stuff with taking down the Confederate statues, that's part of our history. And it's a part of our history that we should be remembering, not, not destroying or, or taking down statues. I mean, everybody who fought, especially the, the generals, they were fighting for a noble cause. You may not have, well, they may not have agreed, but it was a noble cause. By the way, here's the fact that's suppressed. The Civil War was actually between two slave states. There were 400,000 slaves in the Union. How many Americans know that fact? Um, because there were slave states in the Union. Now, some states had already outlawed it, but there were slaves in the Union. 
such as in Missouri, Kentucky, Delaware, Maryland, and so forth. Another interesting fact is the Emancipation Proclamation never freed any slaves at all, because Lincoln, who, by the way, is uh, talk about whitewashing history. He's, this guy had so many bad traits, it's just beyond belief. He constantly used the N-word in, his, in, in the White House, and he was planning to deport all the freed or all the, all the black people in America somewhere else. In fact, he even uh, set up a plan with a guy named Koch to go to Haiti to arrange shipping black people out of America to Haiti, which was an independent mm-hmm. black republic at that time. But the guy he chose stole all the money and disappeared. Wow. <laughs> so this well, is how history you, really you, works. Do you know who the first? But I was going to say um, it was between two slave states, do, and the do reason you know, they. No, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. No, I was no, going to say. Well, um, oh, do it again. Go ahead. You know Ask your question. Okay. Do you know who the first slave owner was? Well, in fact, slavery is first legal. Well, actually, um, how many people realize that in non-canonical works, that books that never made the Bible, Jesus sold his brother. Into slavery. Saint oh Thomas. yeah, no, I'm talking about America. <laughs> oh well, the first, the the first Anthony. It was Anthony Johnson, and he was a black man in Virginia, and he owned the first slave. Well, see um, what's going on there, and uh, I should mention a lot of things are produced by certain levels of civilization or culture. The slave is an invention of the farming cultures. Hunters and gatherers don't enslave people and are really egalitarian. Oh, yeah. um, they don't have tyrants. And they're, they move around in bands of 50, typically. And then the farmers are the ones who develop towns and, and metalworking. They also develop prostitution, tyrants, organized war, and slavery. And all ancients viewed slavery as normal. Um, that's why when we now look at it as the ultimate evil, it's a bit uh, not fair because they just grew up and it was considered normal. Aristotle viewed uh, slavery as ultimately normal. Not a single Greek ethicist denounced it. Uh, Paul writes the epistle to Philemon, which tells a slave to go back to his master and obey him. Uh, the idea of Jesus selling his brother, that's actually in a non-canonical book that didn't make the Bible, the Acts of Thomas. And in legend, Thomas is actually, real name is Judas Thomas. Thomas means twin, and he's the twin brother of Jesus. Um, and he sells him into slavery to teach him humility. Uh, and he goes to India. By the way, it's really curious, when the Portuguese reached India in the late 15th century, they found a Christian church in South India that trace himself to St. Thomas. Even though modern historians dismiss this whole story, they say that's not true, even though that's what the locals said they got their religion from. So, uh, again, historians don't want to go into any kind of unusual stories. But we still have slavery today, which is curious. Uh, Carlyle, the uh, uh, 19th century Scottish essayist, said you can abolish the name and not the thing. Our most uh, obvious form would be uh, anyone, and that's why the 13th Amendment, which technically seems to abolish it, doesn't it? Because it says, unless you're convicted by a court of law. And anyone in prison is a slave. And if you have a life sentence, 
you're a permanent slave. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are all. We have over 2 million people in prison, and we have 140,000, I think, people on life sentences, because America hands that out like candy, um, those sentences. We have a really harsh legal system. And then uh, technically any soldier is a temporary slave, which is ironic because we say they defend our freedom. If somebody can order you around, you're a slave. And if you disobey the order, you'll be put in uh, the brig. And they can even order you to die, risk your own life which is peculiar, so they're temporary slaves. I'm not trying to denigrate the military life, but you know, uh, realize what's going on there. Um, and if you try to run away, they hunt you down. If you join up to the army and you run, uh, if I, I wouldn't work at Taco Bell if they chased me if I tried to quit. You know, I <laughs> sent the Taco Bell police after me. Um, but uh, the most common form of slavery we have today in the United States is debt slavery. Yeah, the Vikings called it. Yeah. A, yes, and um, the Vikings called it a gift thrall. That's when somebody sold their freedom because they couldn't support themselves. And Americans are buying uh, cars. You shouldn't buy a car on credit. If you can't pay for a car, don't buy it. They're buying houses now. See what's happened is. 19th century Americans didn't take a mortgage, and if you they no. if you couldn't afford it, they built one room, and then they would expand the house. In fact, only enough they still do that in southern Italy. Traditional people, they'll give a newlywed couple. I guess it's probably breaking down now, but a one-room house, and as they got more money, they'd add rooms to it. Uh, only enough, my grandfather did that. He came from South Italy, a poor area, uh, in Apulia, in 1900. He bought this little two-room house, and by the time he passed away, it had two stories and all kinds of rooms in it. Uh, he dug a cellar, added upper, uh, upper bedrooms on the top floor, um, all this sort of thing. But that's how they used to do it, and that's how we should be buying stuff, but we don't. And um, which, incidentally, this overlaps with our Lincoln conversation, because if we don't stop this indebtedness, What Lincoln did to the South will happen here. What I mean by that is the Emancipation Proclamation was designed to undermine the Southern economy. He was encouraging slaves because it says, I'm freeing the slaves in the areas under rebellion. And thousands did run or they threw down Mm -hmm. their tools. And this was disrupting the Southern economy to defeat them. Slave societies are vulnerable to this. Sparta, when Thebes invaded Peloponnesus, the Thebans announced all the helots were free, and they all ran away, and Sparta lost. The Romans, when the city of Rome was under siege by Alaric, Alaric announced all the slaves inside are free, and they all ran away. Well, at some point, we're going to get a foreign invader here who's going to announce all your debts are gone. No mortgage, no credit card debt, no student debt. And you think... People are going to die to keep their debts. They'll support the invader. (laughs) We're we're making ourselves, or what we may get, this has happened in history too, uh, Solon did it in ancient Athens. We'll get a demagogue in who will just renounce all the debts. He'll get in power and he'll say, okay, nobody has to own anybody anything. That's how large debts are typically eliminated. They're not paid off. They're just erased. 
and our debts are getting so high, they'll probably collapse the uh, uh, the money. See, that's an easy way to relate race of debt. You cause hyperinflation. This happened in Germany in 1923. And mm-hmm. um, what happened by the end of the year, you needed uh, a trillion marks to buy a turnip. Now, what this would mean if we had this here, let's say you have uh, your listeners have parents or grandparents they work all their lives they save money they don't take trips they buy modest cars live in modest homes and then they retire with let's just say half a million dollars in florida and then hyperinflation hits and within a year or a few months they need a half a million dollars to buy a slurpee at a 7-eleven that's what happened in germany in 1923 in fact, Germany had its money erased twice in the 20th century because the Allies did that. After we conquered Germany, we announced all their money was worthless. And we issued um, uh, occupation marks, which we just printed them. There's nothing backing them. And they overprinted them, so it, it caused all kinds of problems. So this could happen again. You can't keep running up these debts. Um, and I think it's intentional. Um, I can't believe, once again, we're being sabotaged. And if you're, your audience listening there, do not buy on time. You're, if you can't buy it, don't buy it. And if your house, you can't pay the mortgage, get a smaller one. See, we yeah. all live uh, beyond our means. I was just criticizing my sister's children because she has grown-up children. Um, I don't yet. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> They're all buying these million-dollar homes with huge mortgages. It's scary. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I have so, a son who has one of those kind of houses, and it's like staggering, and it's like I can't believe this. Um, his mortgage payment is more than I bring in in a single month. So, you know, it's just kind of like, holy mackerel, I just can't uh, conceive of that. But but uh, guess, let's get back to our conspiracies here because I'm still – I have a feeling that all of us um, who are listening or, and, and or will listen, I don't think they understand that these, these secret societies are indeed there, and there are levels that, there are, levels that, that, that are well-known, that are sort of known, that are kind of suspected, suspected, and then there are levels above the levels above the levels, so that there, there are, there's probably a very select group of people that really have control almost over the whole world. Oh, by the and, way, I should in, mention this connection. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, and in many ways, we, we are puzzle pieces in a game, and we don't know what the game is. Exactly. And I should mention, you ever hear of, uh, well, actually, he's pretty obscure, so I don't think he, at least to most people, Cass Sunstein. He was in the no. Obama administration. He was a, a legal... Uh, if you look him up, they give you some really uh, saintly bio of this guy. He actually suggested to the government, he was a lawyer within the government, that conspiracy theories be outlawed or taxed. <laughs> this is someone in the uh, – this is again how out of control this is getting. He was serious. He wrote an academic paper with a few other legal experts and that they should be outlawed or taxed. Now, um, remember we were talking before the program started, uh, like about 
women's power, and I should mention. Um, yes. Because uh, it always comes down to power. And you were talking about these various groups. And um, secret societies, a lot of books will act as if it's the Templars or the First or the Freemasons. They go back to pre-civilized societies. They're, they're found among hunters and gatherers. And you can even find, um, if you go to Europe, those Paleolithic pave, uh, cave paintings are almost certainly connected with secret rituals. Um, yeah. They, they find them in the Pyrenees. They find them uh, really from Spain to Russia, but they tend to be concentrated around the Pyrenees especially. And what's interesting is most hunters and gatherers, contrary to sort of movie versions, they don't live in caves. They live in rock shelters or just on the edge of the cave, and they're terrified of going beyond where the sun shines. Um, that made me think of John Paul II again. I don't know why, where the sun never shines. <laughs> At any rate, it's had that leak. Well, then, for some reason, in the Stone Age times, people, and it's unclear who was doing it, went deeply into these caves. Uh, sometimes they went through passages that were maybe two feet high and two feet wide and painted, almost all of them are of animals, and uh, painted these images. And that's probably an initiation rite either to become a shaman or perhaps in secret societies. Now, if you jump up to the Roman period, the Mithraic cult, which was a secret society, open only to men, they met in these underground temples, and they were typically about, I think, about 20 yards at the most long, and they had astrological signs, and they depicted uh, its Mithras was their god, and they were promising uh, a kind of uh, salvation on the other side, but to men only. And there were seven degrees of initiation, and they swore oaths, and they were blindfolded, and they went through various uh, ordeals. Some people on the fringe have tried to argue that the Freemasons are just a continuation of this, that the Mithras cult never died, just transformed, uh, and this often okay. happens. Well, on the original point we talked about women, there's this widespread legend we find it among Aboriginal people in Australia. We find it among the people in Patagonia, this in extreme South America, and other places. That in, and, and incidentally, during initiation rituals, the old men would tell the boys who are being initiated, and you were initiated at puberty, the secret of male power. Now, before initiation, Aboriginal boys in Australia, now not, not, not all the tribes, this is in central Australia, there's some variety there, um, they were told, well, they had no contact with the men, and they were with the women and girls, but when they went through puberty, they went through ordeals. Now, some of these are, by our standards, horrific. Some of them included what's called sub-incision. That's where they take a sharp object, and take the, the, the phallus, the male phallus, and they cut it the entire length. And then they open it up, and they keep it open 
That's my clock in the background. It dri- clock bells drive away demons, by the way, in legend. <laughs> yes, they do. <clears throat> and they they put a piece of bark in there. Now that's to keep the um, male organ from ever healing properly. And from that point on, when the young men would urinate, they had to squat like women. Now, this is all intentional. See what they're doing is they're making the male genitals resemble resemble the lips of the vagina. This is what uh-huh. this is being done. And then the boy goes out with these old men. Now, incidentally, in traditional cultures, old people are the teachers. They always are. Young men and young women are too busy. The mothers and fathers are too busy to sit around with little kids and teach them and train them. It's the old men who teach the boys how to hunt. The young women, I mean, sorry, the old women who teach the young women how to prepare the skins and tan things and make this sort of thing. Well, um, and they teach them the lore and the history as well. Well, um, the men would go out with these boys who are now in pain and they're bleeding, and they tell them the secret of male power, and they tell them it's a, it's a hoax. We have tricked the women, and they say long ago, women controlled us through magic. Through magic, they controlled health and death. And if we resisted them, they will, would kill us with their magic. So the men got together and literally formed a secret society. And then they killed every female over puberty and killed them all. Because, see, the women learned the magic in their initiation rites. When they first menstruated, the older women would teach them the magic. So by killing the mature women, the women lost the magic, and then the old men would tell the boy, we've lied to them, there is no male power, we've stolen it. Now that same myth is across the world in these archaic cultures. There has to be an element of truth in it somewhere. And you mentioned before we got on air, Stan Gooch uh, wrote on this. And uh, also Joseph Campbell writes about it, and uh, the great religious historian from Sarah Lawrence College passed away some years ago. Um, so um, there almost certainly is – what's also interesting, by the way, whenever you get this displacement, and this Gooch talks about this, when one ruling class is displaced by another, the new ruling class, it's payoff time. They tend to really oppress the old leaders. Yeah. And you see this. For example, the French Revolution executed or destroyed the old aristocracy. The Russian Revolution executed or sent to gulags the old plutocrats, the ruling class, and the nobles. Um, it always happens. Uh, a lot of Americans well, don't realize but not, it, but the, I was going to say that's why say the that, women were really oppressed. Don't they, say that, that, argue. don't they say that it's, it's the winners that write the history? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, oddly enough, among the Incas, they actually had a practice where when a new Inca got the throne, he brought in these wise men, and they decided uh, what history should be preserved. Uh, and they eliminated the bad things, which is what we do, except it's not done by the Inca anymore. It's done by people wanting tenure. <laughs> we, <Yeah. laughs> we airbrush. 
Okay, uh, you, you, you said something just a few minutes ago that I, I do want to um, – um, you, you mentioned the, the, the theory that <clears throat> the, the gongs of the clock drive away evil spirits. Yes. Totally agree, totally agree with it, but also did you know that wind chimes in a garden will drive away poisonous snakes? No, I didn't know that. Interesting. It's because because the chimes are are not on a on a rhythmic basis or anything, and they take the sound as that of an aggressor, and they it keeps away snakes. Oh, very interesting. Um, well, when we talked about how history is a story, reminds me. I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago there was a minor protest at Duke University because they um, the Muslim students there wanted to use the bells to call people to prayer for the Muslim students. Ah, yeah. And some of the, the, the people objected, and they were getting all upset about it. If these Muslims knew their traditions, Muslims actually despised the bell because they became a, a symbol of the infidels, the Christians. And they didn't have them in the Muslim world. So I don't know where these, uh, these people must have grown up in, Muslims grown up in Charlotte, North Carolina or something. <laughs> It, it's funny. It's it's funny how often um, people will protest. Uh, incidentally, uh, Niall Ferguson, the noted Scottish historian, this guy's published so many books. He's got to have a connection somewhere with secret societies. He's actually got one on secret societies. But uh, it's amazing how he churns out this first-class scholarship. Um, and now I suddenly was talking about him, and I forgot what I was going to say about. Uh, Oh, oh uh, yeah, I suddenly forgot my train of thought. But I, I should mention, because I see another item, people's uh, lack of knowledge of history. I caused unintentionally this big hubbub at Shawnee State University about a year ago because there were a group of um, uh, female students and administrators and faculty that were starting this honor every year called Women Who Rock. And they were going to recognize female achievement on the campus. Now, I have absolutely no problem with that, and I think it's a good idea, but I sent out an email to everybody involved, you know, as a historian. And yeah. I said, with today's Me Too movement and so on and so forth, you may want to consider renaming this event to Women of Distinction because rock and roll actually comes from African-American slang, and it means to have sex. Oh, God. <laughs> and it caused, it caused, I was getting emails with personal insults. It was just unbelievable by other professors. And I said, you know, if you start a, uh, an award for men who rock, I'll make the same comment. But it was unbelievable. And the trouble is, not only are people into altered and perverted history. By perverted, I mean changed. They will get really hysterical if you kind of expose their uh, lack of knowledge on the subject. Yeah. So, um, but again, that's what historians do, and I was just talking in general to the academic community. But, um, <laughs> of course, I didn't learn my lesson. I'll, I'll do it again. But I, I was stunned. Oh, probably. By the, uh, yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's something that I'm seeing in, in government today. Um, people who have been elected to offices don't even know what they're there to serve and do. And 
to me, our system of government today, and this is just my opinion, is a mockery because the government is no longer serving the people. I don't know if it ever did. By the way, remember when we referred to the fact that the uh, Catholic Church with the Vatican had secret society characteristics? What's curious is so does the modern government. For example, the American and British governments, they now uh, swear, in fact, they did from the beginning, the first act of Congress ever passed was a loyalty oath. They ordered um, all uh, political figures and people that work in the government to swear an oath, now in this case to the Constitution, not to a person. Now that's, you know, most of us say, well, that's okay to do that. They changed it during the Civil War to defend it against, it used to be enemies, foreign enemies, and then they said domestic enemies, because that was a reference to the South. Well, then, yeah. starting in World War One, we've now invented official secrecy. Americans don't realize there should be, frankly, no classified documents. Yet, how many Americans realize, now this date is from actually Senator, the late Senator Moynihan's book on secrecy, He uh, wrote it in the 1990s. By 1997, we were classifying 6 million-plus documents a year. Now, what this means is is no one can possibly read all this. You could not read that in a lifetime. So they don't even know what's there anymore. And it gets even stranger because there are 3 million-plus people allowed to read the classified documents. That's it doesn't sound million. like it's very private. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, they're not all at the same level. There are some people that are have only certain levels of class. They can read certain levels. You have above top, you know, you have top secret and all this sort of thing. And then you have classified secret, top secret. Then you have above top secret, allegedly. You know that recent with Chelsea Manning case with, uh, you know, also uh, Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning leaked the secret, um, for example, gun footage of American helicopter pilots killing civilians. Yeah. Nobody asked the question, why is a private allowed to, if this stuff is so important, Chelsea Manning was some 19-year-old private. Why is he, Why now it's a she, but why was she, then he, allowed to read all this stuff if it's so important? So it's becoming, it's taking on a life of its own. And I suspect most of the documents are classified just to, um, it gives them, uh, covers up their mistakes, frankly. Uh, imagine if, if, if um, everybody's allowed to do that. You could say, uh, uh, you know, you're arrested for a crime. You'd say, oh, I'm sorry, that's classified. I can't talk about that. Well, look, so, what, happened, but something, um, look what happened with World War II. There, there have now been released documents that say that that they can't, they can't, they couldn't find Hitler's body. The the body that they did find that was burned was not Hitler's. So, so we are finally learning now, seventy some years later, that Hitler did survive World War II. I mean, well, I should mention um, there was an interesting point by by. Daniel Ellsberg, he was the one who actually was working on the project and then was a whistleblower on the Pentagon Papers Yeah. that were a secret history. The Secretary of Defense ordered this put together of what's going on in Indochina. 
And it was, I forget how many, I think it was six volumes. And then uh, Ellsberg leaked it to the New York Times. Uh, And oddly enough, now he's a hero, but Julian Assange is a villain uh, for doing roughly the same thing. But at any rate, I was going to say, Ellsberg does say, and historians should learn from this, and I think that's probably the quote I was going to say from Ferguson. I said I forgot what I was going to say because he says the same thing. Niall Ferguson I mentioned earlier, and I forgot my train of thought. You can't (laughs) study history from – well, you can't study history from official documents because they suppress – they suppress – um, crimes. How many people? Now, by the way, Winston Churchill is routinely voted number one of the hundred best Brit- Britons in history. He was taking bribes during World War II of in today's money of a couple million dollars, and the bribes are being passed from this Austrian-born man who obviously hated Hitler. He was an, a refugee and so forth. Uh, and was now again Hitler. You could say was evil. We deserved doing this, but still the record stands that Churchill was taking bribes, apparently to keep Britain in the war. Um, now you could say, well, it all turned out for the best. But see, that's how real history works. Bribes. You, you had a reference before we started because that other program I just did with a radio syndicated radio. I talked about um three weeks before Kennedy is killed, he ordered the murder of the president of South Vietnam. Yes. Um, but try to see that in standard history books. They just, uh, and they act like, oh, it wasn't really Kennedy. We actually know about that. Oddly enough, from Johnson, later is recorded in a telephone call with Senator Eugene McCarthy talking about it. And he's, of course, it's typical Johnson because he's using profane language. And he said, yeah. I'm at a meeting. He says, I'm at a meeting. And he said, John Kennedy and his brother Robert said, we have to kill these bastards. So we did. He's referring to the um, president of South Vietnam and his brother, who were both murdered. Uh, when, by the way, when the USA does this, as well as the British, and frankly, all the organized states, they never, contrary to movies, um, they'll never use an American operative to do this, or British won't use a British operative. They'll hire local talent, and and they'll, they'll if they want to do a murder, they'll hire a murderer. Uh, it sounds odd that the United States government would pay a murderer money, but they will to get rid of somebody uh, overseas or even in in house. Um, there, um, incidentally, um, Malcolm X was under such close scrutiny, the Black Liberation Civil Rights Leader in the 1960s. The guy that gave him mouth-to-mouth rested, uh, tried to bring him back after he was shot was actually an undercover operative for the FBI. Uh, was there. So they're, they're all over the place. Um, what about, what about so, William Cooper and... and um, oh, yes. During, that, that's what, a good what, one, too. Uh, yes, what I find interesting... Um, Again, if your audience is not familiar, he was doing those short, back in the day before the Internet took off, he was doing a shortwave radio broadcast in the 1990s. It's a shame that shortwave radio is becoming extinct because if the world ever suffers a disaster, that's a good way to communicate because you can pick up from across the globe broadcasts on Mm -hmm. radios. At any rate, Cooper um, predicted, uh, and I still remember it when it occurred, out of the blue, 
in roughly June of 2001, this British reporter for CNN suddenly pops up with an interview of Osama bin Laden. And it's, this is June before the attack on, on um, the World Trade Center. And Cooper went on his radio show and said they're planning something. They're, putting, they're placing uh, Osama bin Laden in our minds. Uh, by them, he means not the Muslim extremists, but the sinister powers elsewhere. And then he absolutely predicted that. And then in September... When the World Trade Center was attacked, he went on the air and continued to broadcast and said um, that um, he said this is all a setup, and he explains what he thought it was. Uh, it's to support the military-industrial complex, I think he was saying, to get it, keep us in a war, which, again, yeah. that's from 1984, talking about keeping us in wars to justify the ruling elite. And then mm-hmm. he said, they'll kill me for telling you this. He predicts this on his September... 11th program, and he's dead, shot at his own threshold of his house in November. Here's a fact that I always leave out on Guy Fawkes Day. That's the one that all these, uh, you know, the movie V and all these protesters tend to commemorate. Yes. Um, It's interesting how often events occur. They're almost like mocking us, if you will. Ha, 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 we can get away with it. But, again, the official accounts they always leave out. Um, some of the details. How many people realize that Jack Ruby, who shot Oswald, Jack Ruby in the pawn trade means fake gemstone. His real name was Jerry Rubenstein. But he uses a name that means fake gemstone. So was this all a cover-up? You know, all intentional. Again, mocking us, getting away with it. Um... The uh, the paranoia is everywhere. <laughs> well, with Bin so, Laden, he w- he was on the most wanted list, and if anybody ever went into their their <clears throat> post office to see the most wanted list, he was definitely number one on the most wanted list, but not for 9/11 for another crime mm-hmm. altogether. They never had any any proof that he had anything to do with it. Well, here's a curious fact, uh, and I'm actually plagiarizing uh, some Arabic specialists, including American scholars. There's been, there's been a claim that after September 11th, there's only one legitimate video or audio of bin Laden. That's the first one where he denies he's involved. Yeah. Right after September 11th, he issues an, I can't remember if it's a video or an audio, I think it's a video, and he announces they had nothing to do with this. He's not responsible. His people are not responsible. And then it's been alleged that all subsequent um, uh, videos and audios are actually fakes. Now, here's what's curious. Uh, among the Ameri- I'm talking about American Arab specialists is saying this. They're so crudely done, they're almost laughable. Now, this may be intentional as well. Often he's speaking the wrong accent. See, we would pick this up. If you brought a guest on the air who claimed he's from Vermont and he's talking like someone from Texas, we'd all pick it up. Yeah. But for some reason, the CIA wasn't picking this up, that he had the wrong, some of these wrong accents. Uh, and you also know the uh, Bhutto, who was a former, I guess it was Bhutto, um, this former leader of 
her father had been leader, and then he was hanged after a military coup, and then she becomes the leader, and she's running for office. I think it's in 2006. She said in a radio inter- or an interview, television interview with David Frost. We'd both recognize him, but younger ones wouldn't, perhaps. He was a well-known British journalist, had television shows yeah. and news shows. She says on the interview, not only this is 2006, I believe. Not only was Bin Laden dead, but she gives the name of the guy who killed him. This is in 2006. Now, BBC originally deleted that from the interview, although you can now find it on YouTube. And she's killed a couple weeks later. I think it's a couple weeks or a couple months. She's blown up by a suicide attacker. Now, back to the the most famous uh, Bin Laden claim. He's talking to a sheik, and the official story was the government raided this house in Afghanistan and found a video where he's boasting of the attack. But again, the Muslim world, and people who speak Arabic, says often the words don't correspond to his mouth. And it appears to be a wedding video that they altered. He's talking to a wedding guest. Now it gets even stranger. Because years later, the guy he's talking to, they caught in Saudi Arabia. And it turned out he was just a Saudi. He had no criminal record, and he said he was at a wedding reception for bin Laden's um, son. This is before 2001. Yeah. Now, uh, And by the way, I should mention what probably may be happening. Are you familiar with the uh, lone gun well, you probably are, but your audience probably is, and so I'll explain it. There was a spinoff of the X-Files, the well-known yeah. television series in the 1990s. And they had these characters who were computer geeks. And for a brief time, they got their own show called The Lone Gunman. You can actually buy it online. And the pilot episode for The Lone Gunman, they only lasted, I think it was less than a season. I think there's 15 shows. It shows a murky uh, Pentagon official talking to somebody else, and they decide that to keep the Pentagon budget and the expenditure, we need a Pearl Harbor. So in the – this is a fictional piece now. They decide to hijack a civilian airliner using remote control technology. It's the same technology they used to fly drones. That's why a guy, yeah. a man in, or woman in Las Vegas can kill someone in, in Afghanistan with a drone. But in the TV pilot, they hijack the airliner. They're going to fly it into the World Trade Center. This is all in the show. But, of course, the geeky guys save the, save the they, they, they crack in and take over the plane and save it. Happy ending? Yeah. But the same plot, that's why some conspiracy theories have argued There never were hijacked jets. They were taken over remotely. In fact, only enough, they they tested that technology in August of 2001. You can technically fly a civilian airliner from the ground. And um, it's probably a matter of time before they do that, where they don't actually have pilots on these planes. You don't, in fact, that's why you have so many pilots with alcohol problems and so forth, because they no longer fly the planes anyway. It's automatic pilot takes off and lands. They get bored in that cockpit. So um, now here's the interesting part. September 10th, 
2001, Rumsfeld, and a controller called, uh, what was his name, um, uh, uh, I said I forget, it's like Zockheim or something, um, uh, Odov uh, Zockheim, that's what it was, announced they couldn't account for roughly $2 trillion in the Pentagon budget. It's been yeah. lost. And, see, that's the way it works in a magic trick. The magician gets you to watch his right hand, and the left hand works the trick. So some have suggested. Now, again, we're dealing with beliefs, not facts. I don't need to get alarm your audience out there. But it's been suggested that September 11th was to distract us from the lost money, which is probably stolen. Well, they, they have – well, it is a belief, using your terms, um, that that right before 9/11 there were there was a convoy of trucks that um, exited the World Trade Center, and the the thought was that 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 in the in that convoy was the gold that was in the basement of the World Trade Center when it was hit. Very. By the way, you know who was in charge? The company that was in charge of World Trade Center security was. Actually, had one Bush of Bush's is, uh, brothers on the board. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like so much <laughs> of this stuff is overlapping. Now, again, though, if you're doing a clever conspiracy, uh, if you want to distract the public, you often insert all these things to make it beyond belief. Like that, if they couldn't possibly have been. That's an old trick. They couldn't possibly have been this stupid. So it, it must be the official story must be true. Um, they wouldn't have. Uh, you know, the story has been suggested that. Uh, they were planning charges inside the ele- the elevator shafts were being serviced just before the attack. That they planted charges inside the uh, inside the shafts, and it was actually controlled demolition that brought down well, the buildings. Yes. They they also had taken all of the uh, bomb sniffing the bomb sniffing dogs out of the uh, out of the World Trade Center two or three weeks before it happened. Because if they went, had gone back in, they would have smelled the um, the, the demolition material. By the way, I, this may amuse your audience. I'm so old that this I could do this back in the day. That's how old I am. But I was my first flight overseas, and I had flown from Detroit to New York, and I transferred, and I'm getting ready to fly overseas, and I'm carrying my suitcases to go to the University of Glasgow as a graduate student, Ph.D. student, and I'm carrying my suitcases and these two dogs suddenly come running after me and start sniffing my legs. And that was, I won't even give the date. I give them a kick and say, get, get away from me. Get away. You know, those were, those were dogs looking for drugs and so forth. Man, imagine if I yeah. did that today. I kicked the oh dogs my. away. I'd, I'd, I'd have been spread eagle on the ground with two bullets in my head. But you could do that oh. years ago. And this agent walked over and said, oh, I'm really sorry, and grabbed the dogs and, I've never used drugs in my life, so they didn't find anything, uh, or you know, guns or drugs. I talk about strange mm-hmm. things, but I'm a really uh, or sort of uh, I don't break because I, I don't break the rules because I know they'll, they'll, they're, the consequences are devastating if you do. Um, they are. So um, yes, there's just so many. You've also probably heard the story that right after September 11th. Up to seven of those alleged 19 hijackers appear in various media, and they're still alive. 
Some of them are still alive yeah. today. Yes, they are. Yet they never talk about this, and their pictures are still on the FBI site. So it's just like one thing after another. And then we launched these two wars. We were outraged by losing 3,000 people. So now, last I looked at, I think we've lost 7,600 in the two wars. Yeah. So if you're going to lose 3,000, okay, let's throw in another, let's make it an even 10. Um, um, if it really had been bin Laden, well, the Chinese have an expression, to catch a rat, do not use a tank, use a cat. Yes. And to launch, to launch a war to catch, you know, individuals was just beyond ridiculous. So, again, there must be an agenda here. It couldn't have just to capture bin Laden. And then when we capture well, him, the wars still continued or killed well, him. Yeah, I don't think we actually um, – I don't think we actually killed him on 2011. I think that was just a uh, – Obama wanted to get reelected. So they set up the hit. It was probably who knows who they shot. Well, yes, and uh, then buried him at sea, right? So, no, uh, I agree with you. And I, I think this, is, this kind of behavior is what makes people start to, to, to doubt the government, to doubt, you know, what they say and, and their actions. And it, 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 is, it is frightening. I, I know one of the other things with the um, – you know, all the telephone calls that people got from, from the airplanes that were about to slam into places, they did a test. And at the altitude the airplanes were flying, cell phones don't work. Yes, exactly. Uh, and who was that solicitor general who lost his wife? It's interesting how every time there's a plane crash, somebody that's relatively important is on those flights. It's almost as if are they trying to uh, get rid of somebody. Maybe he, for his silence he got rid of his wife. Um, well, you, you know, it's it, it's it's true because um, lately there have been a number of deaths or or suicides, maybe um, with people that that you know could either spread information and um, you know give truth to to certain things. But at this point in time, there are so many different conspiracy groups working. And they, they aren't even talking to each other. So so it's a matter of you've got so many different agencies working contra to to what what people's wishes are that the people are dropping like flies. And you know, you can't tell me that, that Murder Incorporated or something like it isn't a well you know, alive and well and functional in the United States these days. Too many people are dying. And I still say that, that that Supreme Court judge that died, um, whose name is now escaping me, uh, he was murdered. Oh, yes, I know you mean. Yes. yes. Um, oh, by the way, um, during the uh, post-Watergate, there was briefly an attempt to open things up, and they had uh, Senate hearings and congressional hearings. And, of course, the Senate hearings became the famous uh, Senator Church Committee, Oddly enough, I forget the congressman who was in charge of the congressional. His hearings were so radical, they never released the results. They classified it or clutched it up. But we learned in the church committee hearings, some, and it almost appears comical, some of the stuff they were doing. For example, they never tried it, but they were discussing um, 
a secret operation to fake the second coming of Christ in Cuba. <laughs> they had developed a technology that was using, they were using in the Vietnam War. It was this sort of 1,500-watt bulb that could project images into the sky. And they yeah. talked about making Jesus appear in the sky, thinking it would cause an uprising in Cuba because he was outlawing Christianity and Catholicism. They never did it, but they talked about it. Also, during the Frank Church Committee hearings, it came out, they, the CIA developed an assass- uh, it's called a heart attack gun. They actually developed a weapon that would give you a heart attack. And what it was, and you can find this in books on the church committee, it was, first of all, it was an air gun. There was no gunpowder. Uh, air guns used to be used during the Napoleonic War. They can be quite powerful, so it's not just a BB gun. And it would shoot yeah. a pellet of ice, not a bullet, but a frozen projectile. And in that projectile was a lethal poison. And if you got hit by this pellet gun, you would think it's an insect bite. You'd be walking down the road, and you'd suddenly feel just a sharp, small little ting on your neck. And then within moments, you would drop dead from a heart attack. And it was virtually impossible to find it in an autopsy. Um, They had this as a classified weapon, Uh, which reminds me, too, it later came out, the Russians developed a classified weapon that they actually, this is only Russia would do this, they carried it in their anus. It was an air gun that would assassinate people, and you smuggled it in, with through that way. So again, it's amazing how odd the Cold War and all these weird, uh, strange projects, which reminds me as you talk about secret societies, conspiracy theories, one of my favorite is the 1950s Orion program. Now, it's kind of curious because they're bringing back an Orion rocket again, but the original plan, which they claim was never built, they had it on the drawing board. It was to be a rocket that was powered by tactical atomic bombs. And it would no. it was capable it was capable of taking 160 people plus equipment to Mars. Now they claim they never built it. But this leads to the other conspiracy theory slash secret society, one of my favorites, is alternative three. That in fact the elite realizes, and I always kind of work this in in any interview because it fascinates me, that the world is dying. And they're, they're trying to save a segment of the human population. And, of course, they're saving themselves is what they're doing. Well, yeah. And that, could explain, that would explain a lot of strange things. For example, why do all these countries have huge national debts, the Japanese, the British, the Americans? It's like a person with a terminal illness who never intends to pay it off. Uh, and the alternative three first appears on a British uh, ITV television program. And if you watch the program in the 1970s, they later said it was an April Fool's joke, but it appears it's broadcast in July or something. And it has real people in it with actors. So, again, plausible deniability. And they never really say what's causing the end, but they talk about these uh, suspicious disappearances and deaths of leading scientists and so forth. 
and the suggestion is they're being taken elsewhere. And apparently, well, alternative three is supposed to be, it would explain, if it's true, it would explain a lot of weirdness. Alternative one was they attempted to save the planet, or at least the human race, by detonating all kinds of nuclear weapons. Now, most people don't realize, from 1950 to 1994, somewhere on Earth, they were detonating a nuclear weapon every 18 days on average. Every 18 days. Now, what the heck were they doing? Is it just pure research? Well, that's point one. And the allegation is it failed. They were trying to alter somehow the atmosphere, the ozone layer or something, and it failed. So alternative two was they were going to dig a network of tunnels. Now, they did do this in the 60s and 70s. There's, there's one outside of Moscow that can accommodate 50,000 people, underground city. We have Mount Weather in Virginia uh, that was in a complete underground city, and the, there's a, several of these. And the cover story was it was a bunker for nuclear war, but mm-hmm. the second alternative three claims that this failed as well. So alternative three was a um, colony, both on Mars and on the moon, and that they've been, the Russians and the Americans and so forth have been cooperating for years to selectively remove people. Uh, to Now, it was Larry Niven, the sci-fi writer, who famously said the dinosaurs became extinct because they didn't have a space program. <laughs> and And frankly... Uh, I, have to, I have to confess, if even though I'm talking about all this stuff, if I were the president and I had access to this and we knew the planet was going to die, you'd have to do this. You'd have to remove some people, you know, to save some. And, and meanwhile, keep the farm animals happy. Uh, give them the Super Bowl, the World Series. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say about Ferguson earlier, Niall Ferguson, he's documented in the United States alone, there have been over 600 issues for protest since World War II. These are ranging from who gets to use the bathroom, gay rights, abortion rights, anti-abortion, KKK, anti-KKK. There have been over 600 of these. The the public's being constantly entertained with... um, you know, these movements, which accomplish nothing, by the way. Uh, they just get people worked up, and they get in the streets, and they shout slogans, and then it's, uh, somebody gets killed when crazy people drive cars into the crowd or the police shoot at them. Um, so, uh, again, uh, amuse the masses while we're slowly moving people off. Um, let's hope that's not the case, but that's the infamous alternative three because it's the mother of all conspiracy theories. But in that um, case, wouldn't wouldn't whoever was whoever were the puppet masters of all of this? The, what would they do? Just move their their whole organization to another planet? Could be. Oh, by the way, one of the really well done uh, film pop culture versions uh, was how they would react. Was the movie Twenty Twelve? That's where they build the parks. Yeah, yes, good and it's movie. exactly how they would act. And remember, there's a scene where they assassinate people to keep the secret. 
And yeah. uh, they they not only allow certain people to escape, they spread dis like for example, the Woody Harrelson character is convinced it's to leave the planet, but in fact it was simply to build a ship, ships, like a Noah's Ark. Uh-huh. Um, that that film was really well done. How they would, and then they were selling seats to billionaires. Remember, they would do that. Yeah. If you had the money, they'd say, "Okay, we'll find room for you." Uh, of course, that Russian billionaire ends up getting dying anyway. Um, well, yeah, but, but it was his, his uh, does save. But but the graphics yeah. on that movie were phenomenal. I loved the graphics. Yes. Yes. Uh, incidentally, another classic one is the When Worlds Collide. That's a 1950s film based yeah. on, I think it was a 1930s novel. And they realized the earth is doomed. But oddly enough, that was George Pal who produced that, same as George Pal. And he was always this big promoter of individual capitalism. So there the uh, businessmen and scientists teamed together to save a certain group, not the government. They're in denial. So it's American capitalism, <laughs> um, building this ship you know, to get people to the new would, world. Would the government as we know it, President, Congress, Senate, I don't think they would be aware of any of this. I think that, that if if there is indeed something like this going on, and there may well be, that, that the government as we know it has no knowledge of it, that there is a dark government, secret government, and then there's a group above. I think that, that, that we aren't seeing the whole picture because we it's a secret. You know, it's a it's, – it's, Exactly. I, I truly – Even – and as ahead. I mentioned earlier, uh, if the presidents are simply stooges and dupes, the tribal leaders, they wouldn't know. There would be – in fact, that's not to do all these pop culture references. You can see I like disaster films. Independence yes. Day. Remember where the president oh. doesn't realize that we have the alien craft in Area 51? Yeah. Um, he doesn't, and he's told by the Secretary of Defense, he says, why don't I know about this? And the, the Secretary of Defense says two words, Mr. President, plausible deniability. Um, well, famously, was, didn't, oh, go ahead. Didn't Eisenhower, didn't Eisenhower at one point threaten to invade Area 51 unless he was told what was going on? You know, I'm not. It could be. I'm not firm with that story. Although I should mention, Eisenhower brings to mind another group. Maybe your audience has not heard of are the so-called the Jason. It's called, and they are. If uh, if anybody's dangerous, it's these guys. Um, this was formed soon after Sputnik, and Eisenhower commissioned these scientists to develop what he called the unimagined weapons of the future. Yeah. And um, it's an elite group of um, – now, originally it was purely physicists. Over the years now it's altered with biologists and some other people. Uh, oddly enough, there was an attempt to put social scientists on it in the 60s, but the, the, there's, there's, there's academic uh, conflict. So the, the scientists kept the social scientists out, which is kind of curious because social scientists could tell you what to do when the world ends, how people are going to behave. <clears throat> whereas a physicist would be clueless about this yeah. sort of stuff. But at any rate, um, the men who are in it, and now a few women, because everything's becoming opened up, um, they can't put on their resumes. It's all hush-hush. We again first learned about it through the Pentagon Papers in 1971. 
And oddly enough, there were protests on Columbia University campus when they discovered a couple academics there were working on these weapons during the Vietnam War. And anti-war student protesters invaded their offices and roughed them up. Um, But they're probably developing doomsday weapons. Now, we've known how to do doomsday weapons. I'll tell you how to end the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's actually in academic papers from the 1950s. Um, it's the cobalt bomb. Uh, what's his name? He was a Hungarian physicist. Silzard recommends it. And what they do, now if this sounds familiar, it's used in uh, Dr. Strangelove, the film. Once again, pop culture. And yeah. it's been estimated if you surround thermonuclear weapons with cobalt, it would poison the entire planet and cause the extinction of all life, at least life on the surface. And um, some estimates are it would only take 400 tons of cobalt. And you don't have to use it in planes. All you have to do is detonate the weapon on the ground in several locations. So we've known about these doomsday weapons. And then you have the CERN Collider in Switzerland. They say it's to do research on subatomic particles, um, give me a break. You think they're really going to spend billions of dollars to simply advance our knowledge of subatomic particles? Not at One all. of the things this thing does is it produces small amounts of antimatter, and which does exist. That's where the electrons and protons are reversed. Yeah. And you can produce really horrific weapons because when antimatter and matter come into contact, it's complete annihilation. And oddly enough, there's no radiation. It's a clean weapon, but it's really destructive. And you could hypothetically even develop planet-sized planet busters. So um, that element, which, by the way, also reminds me of um, uh, suppressed news in the early... 21st century, this is a completely different topic. It just pumped, popped in my mind. The Chinese were buying this gold from the United States, and they returned it. These are thousands of bars because it had been salted. Now, what that means is they've known for some years you hollow out gold bars and fill it with tungsten, which has the same density roughly as gold. And the, you, you hollow them out, put the tungsten in, which cost a few dollars an ounce, and then you reseal, remelt the bars. And the Chinese said some of this, which had Fort Knox stamped on it, were fake gold bars. Oh, so what's wow. going on there? Who's stealing the gold? Uh, now, you get these <laughs> anti-Clinton sites claiming the Clinton did, strange enough. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. Yeah, but there's so much hate against the Clintons, it's hard to tell what's true and what's false. But uh, that it disappeared in the 90s during the Clinton administration. Um, So is there even gold in Fort Knox anymore? Uh, I don't don't think so, but that's just me. Also reminds me that when Gaddafi was murdered, 140 tons of gold disappeared in Libya. 140 tons. $1,400 a troy ounce. Wow. And the reason, by the way, he was probably killed 
it's not all the stuff about oppression and tyranny and all that. That never gets anybody killed in the world. Um, he was planning to issue gold dinars. That was money made out of gold that would have yeah. real value. And the allegation is that's why they killed him, because it would destroy the standard currencies. There's no gold-backed currency left in the world anymore. The last one that went off was the Swiss franc around the year 2000. And uh, every currency on earth has nothing to back it. It's all fiat money. Uh, which reminds me, too, of a character not discussed in the news. His name sounds fake, but it's real. It's Bernard von Nothaus. Almost sounds like Nuthaus. Yeah. He was a millionaire and produced a million one-ounce silver coins. They were made out of real silver. Each one one ounce. He stamps on it, not legal tender, but people began to buy them because they had real value. He was arrested and convicted of counterfeiting and terrorism. Ah. For He was selling them at market prices. He was making no profit on it. So if silver was $15 an ounce, he'd sell you the coin for $15. And I like the, the, actually the terrorism charges. They, he was accused of... Um, Undermining the American currency, which, of course, it would, by the way. Well, yeah. Um, um, which reminds me, too, this is really obscure. Uh, 1967, First National Bank of Montgomery. Now, that's in Minnesota or Wisconsin. It's not in the South. Tried to foreclose on Jerome Daly, and he went to court. He owed $14,000 on his mortgage, and he argued in court with a lawyer that he didn't have to pay the bank back because the money never existed. He was referring to, what he's referring to is when you borrow money from a bank, they're allowed to lend out the money on deposit eight to ten times. Yeah. So if you deposit $1,000, they can lend out eight to 10000 so he says it was simply a bookkeeping entry, and in the court, it was actually a local claims court with the Justice of the Peace. The Justice of the Peace ruled that he was uh, correct, and he didn't know oh. the money. Now, ultimately, he and the lawyer, and I think the Justice of the Peace, all had their lives destroyed. The lawyer was disbarred, ultimately because he later defended two counterfeiters with the same claim. They were printing yeah. money. but this case, they were printing money. And the lawyer defended him saying, well, the money they were printing had the same, was as good as the money the government was printing. So, but again, they just, they dis, uh, disbarred him. And every, so in other words, you don't want to, you don't want to resist the system. When audiences yeah. hear all this weird material we're talking about, do not go out there and say, I'm not going to um, pay my bank off. I'm not going to pay my taxes. Income tax is illegal. Um, that comes from the fact that they originally sold the tax to us. Originally, they said it would be, they made a difference between wages and income. See, they had to get, the Supreme Court ruled the income tax unconstitutional in the 19th century. 
So they needed a constitutional amendment to get it legalized, and they got it through by telling the masses, if you will, that income is, would be dividends and rents, which nobody earned. Wages uh-huh. are what a working man earns, and they told them that we're only going to tax income. But once they got it approved, they lied. And again, by the way, you know, recently we had all those people connected with Trump prosecuted for lying to federal agents. Yeah. That's absolutely true. If a federal agent comes to your house, in fact, you don't want to talk to him without a lawyer because any lie you tell to him is a felony. And frankly, even if you don't tell him a lie, if he swears on the stand that you told him a lie, you can still be prosecuted, even though there's no witness or recording. And there's about 80,000 federal agents involved in law enforcement. Uh, but this also involves, even if you lie to a park police official, you go to a Yellowstone National Park and claim you have a license and you don't to fish. I don't know if they fish there or not. I haven't been there since I was seven years old. But it's a felony. But Here's the important point. They can lie to us. Remember the yeah. weapons of mass destruction by Bush? But <laughs> never lie to a federal official, but they can lie to us. In fact, that's why they get false confessions. In uh, They'll pick up, even the local police, they'll pick up a young man or woman typically, and they interrogate him for 36 hours, and they say, um, if you sign here, we'll let you go home. <laughs> and they're not planning to let you go home. But they're, no. the courts have ruled you can lie to the accused, which, by the way, all the accused has to do, American law says they must stop all interrogation when you ask for a lawyer. Right. So if you're picked up, do not resist in any way because you've then committed resisting arrest charge. Go with them to the police department and immediately ask for a lawyer. And don't say anything on the way. And see, this is what the rich people know. That's why they, you know, the public always says, why do rich people get away with crimes and ordinary people don't? Because we don't train our students what the law really is. And if a, a policeman, you get out, he tells you get out of your car and get on your face and shut up, he can do that legally. And if you yell at him and get aggressive, that's... And that's assault of a police officer. Assault, you don't have to touch him. You just shout at him. And if you touch him, that's battery. So when a lot of these men, especially who are killed at routine traffic stops, you can't, in America anymore, you can't argue with policemen. Oddly enough, I'm a professor. I mean, how harmless are we? I actually had that happen to me in front of a dozen students. I was in the shower. My parked car, which at that time was a Mercedes, was two cars on the street had an accident because someone removed a frat party trick. They removed the street sign. Two cars had an accident. One of them hit my car in the parking lot. So a person came up and knocked on my door, and it was my car. So I'm wet. I put on some clothes. I go down, my car is all smashed up, thousands of dollars of damage. And there's this local Portsmouth City police captain, and I'm standing there, and he's asking everybody for information. And finally I said, "Uh, sir, I 
Uh, that's my car. It was parked. I have to leave because I have a class at 2 o'clock. And he looks at me and says, be quiet. I'll talk to you when I'm ready. So seconds ticked by, or minutes, and I did it a second time. He again yelled, said, be quiet. Finally, I told him, I said, I have to go up and get dressed. I have a class at 2 o'clock. There's 60 people in there. This guy got in my face and yelled at me and said, with threatening voice, I will arrest you and cuff you right here if you don't shut up. The students loved it. <laughs> this, is someone, this is someone telling their professor because we could terrorize students in classes. So they're all yeah. chuckling. And, of course, I know the law. I didn't try to resist. But a lot of young men in particular would, would re- shout back. You can't do that. Now, in the 19th century, you could. 19th century Americans would not have put up with secret documents, secret government papers, um, uh, police behavior like this. But sadly, well, as Nietzsche predicted, uh, democracy is turning this into egalitarian pygmies. (laughs) We're becoming more and more equal. Yes. I don't mean to We're getting right down to the... We're getting right down to the end here. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Yes, I have probably the easiest way is my website. It's my name, M-A-R-K, and then my last name is Mirabello, M-I-R-A-B-I-Z-N-B-O-Y, E-L-L-O, at gmail.com. And that would be my email. You can also see... I've done quite a few of these videos and audios and all this sort of thing. If you're interested in this subject and the books, that would be the best way. I would give them my Shawnee State account, but we have this really bad email system which seems to send all important emails to spam. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that would be mmirabello at shawnee.edu, but I probably wouldn't use it. It will disappear into some Shawnee State vortex. Well, I will have I've this actually show tried... up. Yeah, this show will be up on uh, YouTube tomorrow. And um, very good. Yeah, I, I just I want to thank you so much. Um, you've been you've been amazing, and I think we could have talked for another two hours easily. And so I'm going to have to ask if you'll come back another time, sometime in the future. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I also want to thank Mark Eddie, Eddie, sorry, because he made the original contact how I met you. So this has been now yep. done two programs, so one on the afterlife. And this has been just a wonderful experience, so thank you very much. Um, and I always tell my students now, this is why I don't retire, because once a professor retires, no one wants to listen to him anymore. He's just an old guy talking. So as long <laughs> as I keep teaching, they, they pay me to talk. So, But I love this. This is fun to do. So sorry if I ramble on a little bit, but that's um, – I always say I have verbal diarrhea. Uh, well, it's a no, lot of that's fun. okay. And, been... and believe it or not, I did follow you almost all the time. So, um, <laughs> it, 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 no, it's been a delight, and I so appreciate you you're taking the time to speak with us. And I know there will be lots of questions that, that I'll be pummeled with, and I will uh, certainly send them on to you if I can't answer them. But I do again want to thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and I really look forward to talking with you again sometime very, very soon. Well, thank you very much. And I should close with, because we were talking some radical thought here, to your audience, do not try to fight the beast. 
you'll lose. So simply yeah. pay your taxes, follow the rules. You can't, they'll crush you. So don't start forming some uh, group with torches. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't want to do that. So, well, thank you very no. much, and it's been wonderful, and looking forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Good night now. Good night. <laughs>